Okay, listen up. The first rule of Red Dragon is you don't call him the Tooth Fairy. The second rule is you don't call him the Tooth Fairy. This is a matter of taste. <laughs> We're like babes in the wild. Gordos <laughs> in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cat. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nepotiz. Oh, no. Yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. <laughs> wackadoo. Hello, everyone. This is a matter of taste. I'm Ian, and I'm here with Theo. Hello. And tonight, we are discussing episode 11 of season 3 of Hannibal and the Beast from the Sea. We're on our last three episodes, guys. It is a shame. Yeah. But mm. this was a fucking awesome episode. Yeah, no, this was nuts. <laughs> like, <laughs> so much shit went down in this episode. The, this was, again, like with every arc of this series, it's been a, like, it, it always takes a few episodes for me to get out and board, and this was that, that episode for me. That, like... This was the first episode where I was like, okay, I, I wasn't sure about Mads Mikkelsen's per, like portrayal for like a good couple episodes because he was in a lot of the same situations that Anthony Hopkins was in in the movie, and so I, I was worried that it was starting to become a little bit, a little copycat, not like directly, but. Uh, not because of it, it's his fault or anything, but just because they're using a lot of the same material. But this episode, I was just like, no, this is this is fucking awesome. Listen as Ian stumbles to explain himself when being mildly critical of Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's going to be somebody marching up to your door with goddamn pitchforks. Like, oh, a, my. A, as if Maz Mikkelsen is actually listening to this podcast. <laughs> I feel like he'd be really chill about it. Yeah, probably. But uh yeah, dude, I don't know. This this <laughs> this episode was really really freaking good. Yeah. And like uh I was like I was saying to you before, like before we did the podcast, I was having trouble like thinking coming up with shit to say cuz I just wanted to watch it. Yeah. Like when we were live tweeting it. It was so friggin' engaging. And yeah. like, just right off the bat, because th there, there are so many different things I want to talk about. Um, first of all, the, the way that they've been shooting these sessions between Dollarhide and Hannibal have just been fantastic. And I loved how the mm -hmm. first, the first session we saw, it was, there were two Dollarhides in the scene. There was Dollarhide sitting in the chair, and then there was like the other Dollarhide observing himself. And then with this, we got that same thing, but instead it was there were two Hannibals in the scene, and uh, 
the one that was standing behind Dollarhide was so like never on the show have I ever felt like he was more representative of the devil on the shoulder the way he leans in uh, for that yeah. one line I uh, I've got the transcript right in front of me he has a family that's what it was he like leans mm-hmm. in and whispers in his ear he has a family and like that was when I was like damn this is just friggin awesome and then the way that they did the cut from they did they spread the save yourself kill them all between inside the office and then him on the phone in the institution uh, just this this episode specifically was shot so awesome yeah no it was incredibly well done i also found a really interesting uh there's a really interesting bit of analysis on tumblr the other day that was talking about and the beast from the sea referring to Hannibal mm-hmm. in this episode and just like seeing seeing him seeing that scene as representative of Hannibal's identity being fractured that like will has somehow infected him with a kind of humanity hmm. and you know in in like years past he wouldn't have had those two sort of split personas mm-hmm. between the like the ch- sort of shark like one who is circling dollar hide and then the more like reasonable uh one as the uh as like the therapist mm-hmm. and uh i don't i don't know if i agree with everything they were saying but it was definitely an interesting read yeah yeah definitely um the other thing that i want to talk about with the beginning of this episode was they they basically started off with that moment of dollar hide eating the painting again and uh, i thought of another way like i it i realized in the context of the show uh, what that actually means uh for dollar hide as a character cuz as it's portrayed by Ray Fiennes in the movie Red Dragon, it's it seems very clearly to be connected to the whole, oh, he's trying to stop, and it, it's sort of like this desperate attempt. He's, like, distraught as he's eating this painting, um, mm-hmm. and it's clearly Dollarhide trying to uh, take control of the dragon. It's like an act of desperation and stuff. Um, in this context... With the way that Richard Armitage sort of caresses it and like sniffs it and then he starts to eat it, it doesn't have that sense of desperation to it. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing I started thinking about was back in Mukuzuke when, uh, uh, Matthew Brown is talking about, uh, oh, would, would they, would I then become the Chesapeake Ripper or whatever? And Hannibal says, you'd have to eat me. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of cannibalism in the show and eating things. In uh, the movie Red Dragon, it seems like Dollarhide's eating the painting to separate himself from the dragon, to like be done with it entirely. But in this context, it's almost like he's trying to fully become the dragon by eating the painting. Mm-hmm. Which that is a really interesting disti- distinction to me. Does, yeah, no. Does that sound fair? Or? Yeah, no, no. I because I'm trying to think. It sounded like um, when Lecter was talking to Dollarhide 
Dollarhide seems like he wants to get rid of the dragon. Mm-hmm. Like, and Lecter basically gives him the thought that, oh, you can pass it on. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to destroy Will's family to, like, give Will the dragon. See, that's what I... That's... I'm still unsure how to interpret that line, because that's what I thought, too, was that mm-hmm. it was it was Hannibal trying to, like, infect Will with the killer virus, in very basic terms, again. Yeah. Um. But then uh, I wondered if what Hannibal was implying was just wasn't that Dollarhide could get rid of the dragon, but that he could pass the dragon's thirst from Reba onto Will's family. Oh, that's that's also an interesting interpretation. Because uh, my initial interpretation was the way that you talked about it, and in the context of the show, that interpretation definitely makes sense, because the whole mm-hmm. show has been about the whole, oh, what does it take to turn someone to a killer and stuff like that. Um, but because, and it like, there's so much, there's the way that they've dramatized dollar Hyde's struggle is so intricate and intriguing and kind of confusing, but not in a cheap way because we have that whole, that whole fight club scene, this episode where he literally fights the dragon in his attic which that was really interesting uh, and a very striking yeah. scene. Oh, damn it. That was a pun. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's what they come here for, Ian. Really? <laughs> really? Uh, come for the puns, stay for the half-baked analysis. Yes. <laughs> um... But yeah, then there's oh, there's all the stuff with Reba where I don't know how much I'm placing this interpretation on the, the scenes in the episode, but when Reba's talking to Dollarhide in her uh, her office, I guess you would call it, uh, and he he starts talking about like he he's afraid that he would hurt her and she's feeling his face and stuff. Part of me wonders, and I can't remember if they implied this in the movie and I haven't read the book yet, although I did this weekend to pick up a copy of Red Dragon and a copy of Hannibal from the local uh, bookstore. Um, they did not have Silence of the Lambs, unfortunately. But uh, mm. I wondered if, after feeling his face and feeling the wounds there, Reba might interpret his fear and his termination of the relationship as, oh, Dollar High, D is in with some really bad people, they beat him up, and that's why he can't see me anymore. But I don't know if that's exactly what they were going for. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I think that... Hmm. It's a way that they could have gone with it, but I don't know if that's actually the way that they went with it. Right, right. Yeah, no, I definitely think the... For now, you know, the interpretation, that, that interpretation can definitely stand. Uh... I wasn't thinking of that, but it, it's you know it's definitely a valid path to take. We'll see how it proceeds later. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> and like I'm afraid I might hurt you. She could interpret that in a lot of different ways. Yeah, no, this is true. It doesn't necessarily mean physical. 
This is true. Um, we got a lot of Molly this episode, and she was friggin' awesome. I, I can't give enough praise yeah. to Nira, Nina Ar Arianda, just because she, she is such a beacon of light in this series without being like cheaply innocent or anything like that. Like, like with a character like that, I think she could very easily become like almost like saccharine sweet but she she's got mm -hmm. she's she's just such a fully developed character in a way that previous interpretations just didn't deliver mostly because they didn't have a lot of time in the movies uh and so there was only so much time they could spend on developing her as a character but i just i this i i i, I freaking love nina arianda's molly the way that she is just unapologetic, like, I blame Jack Crawford. Yeah. Uh, and then even as she's, even as she's realizing the weight of the situation and she was like, I knew it was him. I, I saw your picture in the paper and I knew it was him. Then she has that moment where she just sort of like laughs to herself and she's like, damn, I just got angry there. <laughs> so freaking... Yeah. It's so endearing and so, like I said on Twitter, unfailingly lovely, just unfailingly positive and trying to, or at least trying to stay positive, trying not to let it, let the darkness get a hold of her. And in a way that no other character on this show has really done before. And part of it, I guess, is because she hasn't come in contact with Hannibal at all. Yeah, no, this is true. Yeah, once you touch Hannibal, you're done. Mm -hmm. That's that's game over. <laughs> Guy's got a hell of an infection vector. But uh Yeah, no no, I I definitely agree um that Molly Molly's role in this could could have gone very wrong very easily. And the sort of line that they're walking with her right now is excellent. It's it's pretty much exactly what the show needs. Yeah. Any one person who hasn't talked to Hannibal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hannibal. Hannibal. <laughs> you bastard. Hannibal this episode. Again, uh, Mads Mikkelsen just knocking it out of the park and... Uh, it, it, oh my gosh, that scene before Dollar Hyde goes and attacks the family, when Hannibal is talking to Will, and he almost he all but literally says to Will, "Hey, Dollar Hyde's going to go and attack your family," and Will doesn't get it in time. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh my <laughs> no, gosh. This <laughs> that's just true. Yeah, that's the thing. Like Hannibal, Hannibal so rarely outright li outright lies. Mm -hmm. Like he finds ways to say things that you know he talks around his answers instead of giving them straight. I feel yeah. like if you just spend five extra minutes and actually like quiz him on shit, things would get solved a lot sooner. Oh yeah. <laughs> like like well, take a step back and be like, hold on. Did what you just say make sense in context? Well, like, they, they even they even highlight that this episode when Alana asks him, uh, 
if you if I had asked you about the phone calls, would you have told me the truth? And you said, I've always told the truth in my own way. Yeah. And it's it's very true. We we've talked about that on the podcast before. Back when uh, in Hassoon when uh Will is uh Will is you can tell Will probably believes that Hannibal uh sent the ear or at least killed the bailiff and Hannibal's just like I never would have thought of sending you an ear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this and his friggin' social networking line, that was amazing. <laughs> like, th- this episode was when I, I like, Mads Mikkelsen uh, got me back in, he, he was back in my good graces. Uh, that That is a really pretentious way to say that. What What is the phrase I'm looking for? <laughs> he won me over again. Yeah. I was sort of, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> Um, cause otherwise, like, oh, Mads Mikkelsen, you're supposed to be meeting my standard. Um, but, uh, his, just his whole performance this episode, there was so much of uh, his portrayal of Hannibal back in the character, it felt like to me. Just his very, uh, low key, uh, just matter of fact, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing right now. It pisses you off? Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> and we got him in the mask. This, yeah, no, that was awesome. Yeah. The, the, just so many amazing things about this episode. And, like, just, again, the way they shot this episode. First of all, Hannibal had a friggin' skylight in his cell so that he could see the moon. I mean, Alana, there's there's pampering him, and then there's a whole other level. Yeah. You let him see the sky? Oh, my gosh. But, I mean, it did give him a very dramatic shot to start that scene off with, which was awesome. And he says right to Will's face, Will asks him, what did you tell him? And he just says exactly what he said. Save yourself. Kill them all. How's the wife? Yeah. It's just like, you fucker. He, oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I, I love his, like, grudging appreciation of Molly at the end. Oh, yeah. Where Will's like, she got lucky, and he, he's, he's like, it takes, it takes a little more than luck to <laughs> escape the great red dragon. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but after our disturbing revelation last week, similar to the way that Hanmel gouged out a space for Abigail with the, the death of Margot's baby, I sort of interpreted it, like, in that context... Hannibal, and the context of everything else on the show, Hannibal sending Dollarhide to kill Will's family takes on a whole new level of personalness. Yeah. Because it's almost like, hey, I could have been your murder husband. I can still be your murder husband. I'll just... 
I, let, you seem to have got yourself into a little bit of a situation. Let me just fix this for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's so, he's, he's a helper. He's <laughs> the worst at helping. <laughs> I, I, I he's want a helper. I had another idea for a, a Tumblr post this week where it's just like, guy, like Hannibal's just like, guys, I'm trying so hard to do this friend thing. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> Besides everything, Hannibal. Hmm. <laughs> have you read uh, Have you read Cleo's um, Segundo Segundo recap yet? I have not had the chance to yet. It's It's pretty excellent. I read the first half at work. I haven't had a chance to read the second half yet, but it's it's quite quite good. Um. <laughs> oh, Hannibal! Hannibal, you Hannibal, Hannibal, fucking asshole! He's such an asshole. He's just like, Will, it's like, he's the text, literally textbook narcissist. He's like, but Will, I love you. I'm only doing what I think would be best for you. Doesn't this, like, I'm showing you so much devotion. Why won't you return that? (laughs) I have deigned it, it like we've we've gone over this. I have deigned you worthy of my affections, and the fact that you're not responding to that the way that I want—that's that's not cool, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why can't I just have everything I want with no consequences? It's the is that really <laughs> too much to ask? <laughs> I have to say. It, was this the crazy sons of bitches line from the book? Um, I don't know. Again, it's been forever since I read Red Dragon. Like I read Silence pretty free, like pretty frequently, mm-hmm. but the, I have it with me. Like Red Dragon's back at my parents' house. I'd have to go find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I haven't read the book, so even though I have it sitting over there, I probably wouldn't find it quickly enough. But just, <laughs> uh, it. It's one of the few times where I, again, it, the reason I sort of thought it might have come from the book was because it just didn't sound natural coming out of Hugh Dancy, yeah. out of his Will Graham. I don't know why, but it just, like, there was something about that line that felt a little forced. <laughs> and it's not like it's... It, it, it's not like it, the situation doesn't warrant him calling uh, these people crazy sons of bitches. I mean, Hannibal just sent a uh, very troubled man to kill Will's family, so he's sort of he sort of earned the right to call them crazy sons of bitches. But it just it's it, 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 that line. While I. I felt the sentiment of it. It felt a little silly coming out of Hugh Dancy. <laughs> a little bit, but I still really liked it. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. At the same time, I was, I was glad. Like, I liked the fact that they included it in there. It's a very cathartic line. Yeah. Like, basically, it's it was a very low key. It's it's as close to this show is going to get to like. I would fucking love if, if like, like in another season we we get like, we would get like a one of Brian Fuller's you know 
patented, completely bonkers crime scenes, and uh, just somebody showing up and like, what? What's the... This doesn't happen. Like, <laughs> just being completely unable to process. It's just like, leave, just like, no, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. This... <laughs> that would be awesome. Because <laughs> you gotta hit your breaking point at some at yeah. some point. And, and as you were saying, I'm like, it, it would be Zeller. <laughs> that yeah. sounds like something Zeller would say. Jimmy P and the Z going up, going off to open their bed and breakfast. <laughs> we're done, Jimmy. We're getting out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Grab your bag and get in the hatchback. We're done. <laughs> One of the other things that I wanted to touch on was something that Cleo actually brought up when we were talking about the Red Dragon movie on the podcast. And... Uh, I think this 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 scene might have been uh, taken from the same context in the book, but uh, there's that scene in uh, the Red Dragon movie where uh, uh, Edward Norton's Will Graham says like uh, like put me put me in front of him or I can't remember the exact line, but do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I think I do. I'm pretty sure it's a similar context. It's after uh, Molly and uh, his son have been taken into witness protection, which was that much different in this episode. Yeah. Um, But uh, it's like Will is really getting frustrated and he's just sort of like, just put me out there, put me in front of him. Uh, Let let me see what I can do to him essentially. And, uh, Cleo brought up the fact that for the first time she wondered is, and it was in the context of having watched the first season with like Fromage specifically, she was talking about like, is Hannibal like testing Will with all this stuff? And in this, in this episode where they sort of adapt that, probably that same scene, it is very clearly highlighted with that, when Will says, is this a competition? It, and it, that that's, again, this show takes those themes and just intensifies them and deepens them where the thing that has been really, that has really set this show apart from uh, the movies is the fact that we have this whole mythology of Hannibal creating these acolytes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is, again, uh, a case of Hannibal pitting two of his acolytes against each other, looking forward to seeing who wins. Yeah. Well, and Hannibal follows it up with uh, the line. Uh, I, I think some. I just glancing at Google. I think someone said it was from Goth. Uh, two souls, alas, are dwelling in my breast, and one is striving to forsake its brother. Mm. Which that again, it just encapsulates everything about the series the idea that people have goodness and evil in them and uh anyone can become a killer and with uh, people like Dollarhide and will graham there's a much bigger struggle going on in them than for some other people <laughs> yeah and hannibal's just like come on come on <laughs> just give to the the given to the killer one we also got this episode, that scene 
between Will and Walter uh, sitting in the hospital where uh, Walter tells him he read about him in the paper, uh, which I didn't realize, like, I, I can't remember what the, how the, that scene played out in the previous movies and, or I think, don't think it was in Red Dragon. I know it was in Manhunter because I remember mentioning that I liked that scene. So I was glad to see a similar scene here. Um, but I didn't realize that it was like, was specifically a Freddie Lowndes article, which crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't remember if, Walter's line from the previous movie or the book was, I don't think you should go to an institution. I think you should kill him. Which that, again, it's, it's one of those lines where it's like, you sort of, you're sort of expecting the kid to be a little scared of Will after reading this article. And then he says that, and it's like, oh, Okay, and Will, you can see the look on Will's face where he's just like, oh, well, that just happened, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's not like I've been trying to get over that for the past three years. Oh, my kid wants me to kill a guy. Okay, yeah. killing, killing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like an addict being having drugs waved in front of his face. <laughs> Just like, I yeah. know it's not good for me, but... <laughs> it actually, um... It kind of reminds me of, uh... This is a bit of a weird connection, but it kind of reminds me of uh, Batman's whole deal from Under the Red Hood. Okay. Where it's like, would it be too hard to kill the Joker? And he's like, no, it'd be too easy. It'd be way too easy. Yeah. Like, Will just being terrified by this notion of how easy it would be to kill him and what that would make him feel again, how that would open up that whole can of worms again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this, this episode was really the first time in a while that we have seen Will that vulnerable in a way where it wasn't him like having been broken down by like having a saw put in his head or having his gut ripped open uh, it was just pure emotion at, like, his rage when he's, like, again, that's part of the reason why I, like, I'm torn about that Crazy Sons of Bitches line, because the emotion that he has there, it, it's very, very, it felt very, very genuine to me. Uh, and it was, like, an intensity that we haven't seen from him. We haven't seen that sort of rage from him. Because even when he's been mad at Hannibal in the past, it's sort of been like this, Okay, I am so pissed off at you, and I'm also, it's, it's almost hilarious, the situation I'm in right now. But this yeah. is like, you fucked with my family. Now it's on. Yeah. Like, the, the moment Will walks out of the, uh, out of Molly's hospital room after talking to her, he, he, he walks by the camera, and he just got this look on his face, and I'm just like, Will Graham is on a mission. Yeah. And they just transitioned directly into the the mental institution, which was, I, uh, people are probably getting bored with me mentioning, oh, the cinematography is awesome so many times, but I can't stop gushing about the cinematography on the show. Oh my gosh. Are you familiar with the, the, uh, the, uh, 
this I know the story under the name under the name Wolves in the Heart. It's sort of like a short. I uh, I don't want to use parable, but that that's kind of a. It's not really a parable, but basically, I've had this printout that my grandmother sent to me back in. It's actually got a date on it back in two thousand two, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, some people are probably going to recognize it once I start reading it. But it's, uh, I guess, it's a, a Cherokee story, uh, American Indian. And uh, I, I have it right here. It's really short, so I'll just read it off. And you could probably Google it or something. Mm-hmm. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you, and inside every other person, too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, Which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, The one you feed. And so that's, I've always liked that partly because of the wolves thing, (laughs) Uh, but part, I've been familiar with that story for a while. And so that was immediately what I thought of when uh, Hannibal said that ghost line, two souls, alas, are dwelling in my breast and one is striving to forsake its brother. And the way, the the way I just read the story, it's probably, it, it, it sounds it sounds like an oral tradition type thing. So there are probably different versions of it there. This, I would never go so far to say that this is like the, the uh, quote unquote original copy or anything like that. But it's interesting to think about this whole struggle between uh, being a killer and not being a killer and uh, the metaphor of the wolves. And uh, it's like, and the whole idea of whichever you feed. I've always liked that. Like, I've always wanted to use that story in the context of, like, a werewolf story. And the Red Dragon story is, in a way, a werewolf story. It's got the whole full moon aspect to it. We're seeing uh, more and more now. It looks like the way that they're interpreting the Red Dragon is that it's becoming essentially a a, a split personality, a, like dissociative identity disorder type thing, which... When we talked about Red Dragon on the podcast before, it, uh, it, Cleo said that they never really used a medical term for what Dollar Hyde was experiencing in the novel. But it seems like they are skewing towards this idea that it might be some sort of split personality of some sort, especially with the way that Dollar Hyde's voice changes at certain points. And uh, again, with the the whole fight club scene that sort of plays into that too. Yeah, this is, this is true. Um, I was, I actually read a really interesting article talking about red dragon being, uh, like recontextualized, uh, 
pared down, like down to earth, uh, werewolf story. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. I mean, it's true. It's, it, it is essentially, you know, it has all the werewolf beats that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Well, and Hannibal specifically says the building of a new body and the othering of himself, the splitting of his personality all seem active and deliberate. So he actually uses the phrase, the splitting of his personality. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I can't wait to see the direction that this goes in the next, the last few episodes. Yeah, dude, they always manage to freaking throw a curveball, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not expect that the scene with Molly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we haven't talked specifically about that scene yet, but holy crap. Yeah, I was like chewing my fingernails that entire time. Like, it, as soon as I realized, oh, they're not doing the thing from the novel and the movies. They, they're not doing the pump fake. This is actually happening. I was like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. Yeah. And then they, they had their little, uh, Brian Fuller brought up on Twitter, the, uh, reference to The Shining, getting the kid out the window. I I watched it. I did get to see this episode twice, but I can't remember. Does Molly just wake up sort of out of instinct, or was there something to spur her awakening? Uh, I don't I don't recall. I got the episode right in front of me. I could see if I could find it. Find it. Yeah, I'm watching it right now on iTunes and. I guess there's a creaking, but yeah, Molly, uh, it, I guess she hears Dollarhide walking outside on the wooden planks, but dude, that's friggin' lucky. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is true. Everything about that scene, they, like we had Dollarhide, uh, what exactly did he pull up over his face? Because it doesn't, like looking back on it, it almost looks different than just like the, like, yeah, it's, oh, he, it, it looks like in this, in the show, it's a, sort of like a winter hat that instead of having the sides rolled up, he just pulled it down over his nose, which is, a, a, I guess, a little bit better than, uh, I think Tom Noonan had, like, pantyhose stretched over at the top of his head? That he did. Yeah. Did uh, Ray Fiennes do that too? Or... Yeah, only in the opening scene, though. Okay. Um, and you can send us an email and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm like, I'm remembering it, mm-hmm. but I could be remembering wrong. Um, but now I'm pretty sure he also had, like, the pantyhose. And that that's probably a detail from the novel, right? I, again, it's been forever. Um, but we got that. We got Molly just, the level of good instinct she had in that scene. It's, you know, on the one hand, there's a, there's a person who would watch that scene and be like, oh, how the fuck did they get out of there? But on the other hand, it was, to me, really refreshing and also just ten times more intriguing to watch someone 
actually competent navigate their way through the scene and still have that high level of tension. Because, like, in the, like, we've seen in so many slasher movies, we've seen this sort of scene play out, and it's like, no, don't go in there. Oh, what are you doing and stuff? Molly makes yeah. a lot of really good decisions, and it's still, like, they get, she gets shot through the shoulder. They get out of there. They, that was a very well-plotted and well-paced scene, the way that they did that. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. And it, because it lets them get away without giving, like, without making Dollar Hyde do something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's legitimately written to the point that, yes, they earned that escape. Yes. And yeah, when you think about the other families that he's killed, it, they didn't get out in time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The show! Why can't it stay, Theo? Oh man. I feel like we've only been talking for like 45 minutes or so, but I don't know if there's anything else to hit on. Yeah, this, this episode, I mean, a lot, a lot happened, but it was in like big scenes. Yeah. Like there were a lot of big movement scenes in this episode, mm -hmm. which makes sense because we're kind of coming into the, um, the home stretch here. Yeah. So this was, this was basically getting all the pieces on the board for the last couple episodes. Um, here's a notch for the bingo card. I loved the lighting in the hospital. <laughs> Specifically when uh, Will and Walter are talking in the waiting room. Something about that had, that in particular had a very dreamlike quality to it. it just the, the lighting in the nighttime and everything. Uh, oh, and fucking Jack Crawford again, just being like, the least empathetic person ever this side of Hannibal. Um, when uh, Will's talking to him uh, about how uh, he just had to justify himself to an 11-year-old, and Jack's like, uh, oh, what, what does he say? Uh, I've got the transcript. I can, I can find it. Resentment's raising a blister in you, Will. It's like, that's not what you say to him after he's clearly upset over the fact that his kid read about him killing a guy and he had to justify him. that this is how it plays out he says i had to justify myself to an 11 year old and jack just grows resentment's raising a blister in you will and i'm like fuck you jack yeah <laughs> fuck you and you're like non uh, it's such a typical jack line on this show which again I like I, I'm I'm not criticizing it. I love the fact that this is the way that Jack is played and that this is the way he's written and the way that Lawrence Fishburne is playing it. I am expressing anger specifically at the character of Jack Crawford because he is a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and like it, earlier in this episode, when he's like, uh, when Alana's talking about how, uh, or Will's talking about, uh. Uh, Alana, says, Alana gets the maybe he's trying to stop line and uh, Jack says you think there's a way to push him to being self-destructive you mean push him towards suicide suicide suits me just fine I'm like well then okay 
Uh, and then Will follows that up with, uh, if he's really trying to stop, he's not going to kill himself. Which, which in the context of what I talked about last week, that, that was interesting. Um, and Will, yeah, he's right. <laughs> How could he be sure his death would affect whatever's inside him? That that's such a it's such an interesting line because it's it, it's it, it it really gives this sort of supernatural quality to the dragon. Mm-hmm. That maybe and again maybe maybe that is the way we were supposed to interpret it. The maybe you can pass the dragon on line. Uh, the idea of Dollar Hyde giving the dragon the to Will. Uh, and it leaving him, although by the end of the episode, when he has that last phone conversation with uh, Hannibal, Hannibal's just like, you've been the, you and the dragon have been one from the very beginning. Uh, and that, like, ah, the people on the show, they're just amazing actors. Richard Armitage, I just have completely fallen in love with his performance as Dollar Hyde. This episode, more than any of the previous episodes, showed a, how uh, the TV show's interpretations of Dollar Hyde and Lecter differ from those in the movies. Again, like you, like you mentioned last week, there it, it, Ar- Richard Armitage is hitting similar beats, but in completely different ways. And I just so much I da. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I've been driven to. A blithering pile of words. And I can't believe nobody's picked up the show. I don't know. I think that's all I got. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything else. Richard Armitage, just uh, as a quick aside, was a definite get for this show. Like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember who it was that mentioned it on Twitter or on the podcast, but the fact that they got another... Uh, dancer, former dancer on the show is definitely definitely an excellent choice for the dragon. Alrighty then. If that's it, if there's nothing else, then uh, that concludes our discussion of uh, episode 11 of season 3 and the beast from the sea. Next week, we will be discussing episode 12 The number of the beast is 666. Good night. Good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at amatteroftastepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at aomotpodcast. Find full episode posts at amatteroftastepodcast.blogspot.com. And follow us as A Matter of Taste Podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Here's the earth. <laughs> it's pretty cool earth. Round.